Welcome to Computer Vision Decoded, where we help you make sense of the quickly evolving world of computer vision. Today, we have a special guest, Pierre Moulin. He's a research scientist in computer vision and also the founder of OpenMVG. And in preparation for this episode, I read Pierre's latest article where he has a 10-year retrospect on OpenMVG. I'll make sure I link that in the show notes for this episode so you can read that and have a little perspective about where he's coming from. So there's lots that we're gonna learn from his 10 years of experience in this open source project. There should be something in here for everyone. So if you've used an open source library or if you just wanna know what they are, there's something you're gonna learn here. We're also gonna talk a little bit about what multi-view geometry is. And always we'll be joined by Jared Heinley, my co-host, who will help us make sense of some of these terms in computer vision that might be new to you. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Welcome, Jared, and welcome, Pierre, to Computer Vision Decoded. I'm really excited to have you as a guest, Pierre, because you have a lot of experience in 3D reconstruction and structure for motion in the computer vision space. And you've done something special for the community that you did a decade ago. So before we get started, um, just want to welcome you too. And Pierre, can you just give us a little bit, a bit of a background about who you are and what got you into computer vision? Yeah, thank you for having me here. Um, so uh, about me, so um, I started to just be interested about computer vision uh, when I was a teenager, uh, first playing video games and try to understand the world and represent it in computer games. Um, and I, I saw that you need to design, um, to, to do level design, you need to do boxes side by side to put polygons everywhere to represent the world uh, with low polygon. And I was thinking, why we can't do the same by just using pictures? Um, so I was looking around, found the company that was doing that with a lot of manual operation. And I said, I want to work here later, and I want to do that automatically without having to kick points between pictures uh, to link corresponding points. So I uh, pursue a, a technical diploma first in computer vision as an engineering school in computer vision. Then start to work in some startups, um, doing 3D reconstruction and um, generation of panorama from multiple images. And then still interested by research, um, I move in another company working for a um, large-scale image machine and say, okay, now I feel like I have a lot of components together, but I would like to put all of this together to do 3D reconstruction. Uh, so I pursue a PhD, uh, worked during this uh, for three years created OpenMVG at this time, started to do open source a bit before. And uh, since then, I'm working in many startups related to studio construction on images. And um, I want to make this available for everyone and showing how great computer vision could be for uh, usage for everyone. All right. That's, well, that's awesome. a great background. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I didn't even hear about computer vision prior to, prior to grad school. You know, similarly, I had, oh, computer games, got into graphics and things. You know, and then it was once I went to grad school, then realized, oh wow, there's this whole field of of, of computer vision. So that that's a cool, uh, yeah, that's a cool story to hear that you you know you were looking for that, you were looking for a way to uh, take photos and, and extract 3D information from them. So awesome, awesome. So, so you're telling me, as a non-computer vision scientist, I should be still telling my kids, yeah, go play video games because I might be inspiring them to become an engineer. Computer vision. I like I, I like that analogy. We're gonna stick with that. <laughs> yeah, I think but, you learn a lot about like how you simulate the 3D world. So it's like you are somewhere in space, you need to protect the world on the camera, show it to the user. Mm -hmm. So you are yeah. learning a lot about 
3D projection on the 2D plane. Uh, so mm -hmm. basically, you can hold camera about you have some point in space, you want to uh, move them as you are moving along. Uh, so I think it's a, a good introduction about what's going to happen if you have a camera uh, later on. Yeah, and a little off topic, but I do know um, we have a PlayStation 5 and it came this Matrix Reawakens demo and they show you the tech behind a show, was it 40 million polygons rendered all at once in a screen and got my kids thinking, wow, this is really neat how they make this. And so, yeah, it's, it's not, uh, I like the I like that that you came from that inspired and then decided to make something more out of it. And so you mentioned OpenMVG and that's what we're here to talk about. That is something that you've been working on for a long time. Um, I Can you just give, for the people who've never heard about it, and I've been asking people about it lately, have you used it? And there's a surprising amount of people have heard about it, but don't really know what it is. Can you give me that kind of elevator pitch? Just top, top level, what is OpenMVG without getting into any specific detail? Yeah, yeah, sure. So OpenMVG stands for Open Multiple View Geometry. And um, the goal of the library is to provide a set of tools to the community uh, to do 3D reconstruction from images. Uh, so meaning that I want enabling one to have a sequence of image and to be able to find position of those images in space and upon cloud. And to do this, you need uh, a lot of steps and algorithm to run through. And uh, OpenMVG is providing some implementation for all of them uh, with many state-of-the-art implementations. Uh, so you can see this as a kind of a lot of bricks that you can mix match together to do 3D reconstruction. There is some already existing pipeline in OpenMVG that you can tweak and um, to obtain directly results. And after, if you are more interested, all those algorithms are here and you can just play with them and uh, customize them if you want uh, to make something bigger. Okay. So the, yeah, the goal is to share knowledge about computer vision uh, with easy to read implementation of state-of-the-art algorithm. Uh, if possible, have multiple implementation of the same problem uh, to show that one thing can be done in multiple ways uh, with pros and cons every time. And after, have those algorithms plugged into pipeline so you can easily tweak and see what is the results at the end if you use uh, solution A or solution B. So it's to ease reproducibility. Okay. Okay, so that, that makes sense to me. Hopefully that makes sense to our, our, our listeners. Uh, and then, so you, you, this, you said this is an open source project. What was the, the importance when you decided to create this project? Why why did you go the open source route as opposed, as opposed to that point saying, you know, I'm going to make this into software I can sell, I can monetize, I can make money off of? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I think for me, it's just because I wanted to share and make uh, things easily accessible to everyone. And somehow 10 years ago, um, not a lot was accessible. Or, or some of it was accessible, but it was all in different libraries, different license. <clears throat> and some of them, the license were um, propri sorry, proprietary. So it's like you can't really use this or else it's going to contaminate your code. Uh, so my goal was to make something that is patent free and free to use for everyone, uh, either for research or for um, uh, companies. Um, so yeah, my, my first intent was I want to share knowledge, make this available for everyone, and hopefully uh, some people will pick up and do something bigger with it. Okay, uh, so Jared, how's that long? Uh, how's that line up with your timeline? About a decade ago, was that before, after you were you were doing your PhD? Is this was this software early on that you heard about or uh, used early on? Yeah, so a decade ago, I was I was in the middle of my PhD at that time. Um, now, in, in my research lab, we had, our, we had our own 
you know, internal uh, computer vision engine, you know, 3D reconstruction engine that we were using and building upon. So when I when I was doing my work with structure promotion and 3D reconstruction, I was using that. Um, you know, we also and and so at that time, yeah, I, I wasn't aware of OpenMVG. Uh, I was just I said I had my pipeline in front of me, and so that's the one I was working on and maintaining. So. Uh, it was later once once I had graduated. That's when I realized, oh wait, there's some other packages out there that are doing similar things. But you know, mm-hmm. at the time, missed out on I, it. Like I said, importance too. You graduated, no longer part of a, a school program. You might need to open up your possibilities to other libraries, which ones that maybe have different licensing things like that. Um, very interesting. Okay, so then in general, then a question to you guys is, um, well, Pierre, you took this first. What's what is what is that in the general? What has been the impact or the importance of having these open source libraries for the computer vision community? It sounds sounds like to me, uh, as I as I use different software that's commercialized, and a lot of times they'll show in some sort of console what's happening in the back end. A lot of times you'll see little references to some open source libraries. Is that something that pretty much all of you are accessing and using, or um, is this a great value? How has that an impact on the computer vision community? Yeah, yeah, I I think impact is uh, can be two ways. So the first of um, possibilities uh, awareness. So it's just like helping the community to know there is some implementation there, there is some unit tests uh, for it, there is some results with it. So you can try to trust this, use it if you want, or get inspiration from it. Uh, so like uh, try to have a model that you can uh, build upon. Uh, and the second one is just like, yeah, code is there, available for everyone, uh, ready to be picked up. Uh, like, you know, there is other big libraries like OpenCV, Sigan. Um, it's all great project. It's just like easy to bootstrap from, uh, try to get knowledge from them, either from their documentation, from their code, uh, or from just uh, questions on GitHub. So I think the other impact is um, the community aspect is like, the library itself is uh, knowledge, but after like you reach also a community of people using it and um, also welcome to share their knowledge uh, to help you accomplish your goal. Uh, so I think an objective are twofold. It's like uh, knowledge and after like the community part of it, it's like you, you can go inside something that is bigger than just knowledge. That, and that, that knowledge is important. I know, um, you know, a lot of times during grad school or, you know, if you're writing a research paper, it's, you know, some... There are times when some, some research papers may not may not provide their code, you know, or it's like, what is the reference implementation? It's like, I may have a paper that I'm reading that describes, you know, the details of an algorithm, you know, but then having that algorithm implemented somewhere, you know, that you can actually run and refer to and see the code, you know, is incredibly helpful, you know, and seeing a system uh, as a whole, you know, so an entire 3D reconstruction pipeline is made up of a bunch of different algorithms that are all combined together. Uh, to run different, you know, different stages of that reconstruction process. And so having uh, all of that code sort of in one place uh, is really, really helpful uh, just because you can understand the context, but then it makes it a lot easier to build, you know, to build upon, um, you know, come back again to research. You know, it's when, um, you know, when, when a lot of times when research is happening, it's like you're not building everything from scratch. It's like you're, you're building on top of existing work. You know, and so when, like during my PhD, it's like, okay, I was working on um, duplicate and repetitive structure correction. And so it's there. I'm just working on one module that's like a post-process operation on top of structure for motion. So it's like you already need a full 3D reconstruction system there. And then and then you're adding on this one new module that then you can publish papers about and, uh, and do research on. And so having 
you know, reference implementations that are available and open source and high quality uh, is it just enables research, you know, because it's, you can, you know, build upon, you know, the shoulders of others, um, you know, having, having that code there just, you know, helps people uh, focus on the new novel stuff and, and leverage, leverage those existing implementations. All right. Well, so would you say that for an open source library, finding one that maybe the, there may be some that are useful, but don't have quite as much of a community behind it. Do you find the community aspect around these libraries, these projects could be even more like you maybe opt for one just because, Hey, if I run into questions, I, I can rely on this community versus you see some interesting thing on GitHub and there's nothing on the discussion board. There's nothing, no questions, maybe a couple of answers. And you're like, I, was that something that you would you guys think uh, is that something you think about when you're going to use a library or a project like this yeah yeah i think like when you look to open source um like it's all about user and uh, sorry user value proposition so you could say okay mm -hmm. a project is just there is no activity in this open source project but it provides all the user value that people want so like the proposition is there you use the code you do what you want it's mostly the case for like mostly JavaScript modules that you can find online, like uh, like to view image uh, on sliders, mm -hmm. things like that. So like it's there, there is nothing much more to do uh, better. And after there is other projects that somehow is like you, you need to keep uh, improvements. The project is uh, getting a lot of iterations. And after you reach a kind of MVP stage, like a minimal, minimum viable product where you say, okay, now I have some things that I'm okay. People can start to build from, uh, like you say, okay, it's a strong shoulders. I can build something on top of it. And I think at this point, when you reach the NVT uh, and people start to get interested because of awareness from themselves from, from other researchers, you can really build those communities about, okay, I ask questions. People are taking time to answer to me. I feel welcome. Uh, and now maybe I will contribute back to this project because I feel like I was really welcome. I, I learned a lot. Uh, so mm -hmm. maybe I'm more open to to contribute back uh, to help others or just to uh, help the open source project by itself. Okay. Yeah. And that's a cool, yeah, it's a key distinction that, like you were saying about like, if, it, if it's just a small, you know, a few lines of code or very, very small module, okay, yeah, maybe it's not a huge, maybe there's not a lot of active contributions because it's the code just works as is. But then, yeah, having these big, complex systems where it does take some expert-level knowledge to understand how to stitch everything together, how to run everything, there that that, that community is nice because then it's it's been tried and tested and you know an easy, um, been made easy enough to use by you know a large community of people. And so, oh, if someone ran into a documentation issue or a testing issue or you know, a configuration issue, um, yeah. you know, hopefully there's a greater chance that people have you know encountered that, fixed it, and and uh, you know, push yeah. those changes. Yeah, yeah, for me, one of the test of time for open images that I'm really uh, proud of is um, somehow one day I saw a paper coming out uh, where they made a 3D reconstruction of uh, San Francisco from images, uh, where they cluster everything by chunk with GPS information. And they use open energy to do it all, like uh, the entire city of San Francisco, um, like millions of images. And somehow I was not aware of this work. No one tried to ask me questions about it. Uh, and I was very proud about it because it's like the project was empowering people because the user value proposition was here. Like they came to the project, tried to use it, uh, maybe do some uh, small tweak like for chunks and stuff like that. But somehow it's like they made it by themselves, made the paper, got what they wanted, uh, cited the project uh, to uh, say thank you. And it's all, 
what is about because somehow it's like if someone wants to do the same they know which tools they can use which method can be used because it's described in the paper and it's all what matters to be the communities like um, i've been in this feedback loop about uh, i was able to make this quite thing i say thank you and i explain others how i did it that's awesome that's awesome that's yeah great great validation all right yeah so okay so i'm going to come back to this topic about community a little later on as we talk more about your journey of 10 years of building this open mvg and um so when i say open mvg there is three letters in there that stand for something multi-view geometry and um so i want to dive a little bit more into that part of the aspect for talk about your your journey of building this now but just again you give us a high level what this software is can can we just a little bit of, uh, use the term from our, our podcast name? Can you decode what multi-view geometry is? Uh, and just talk about that as a process in 3D, 3D reconstruction as opposed to in your software in general. But just what's happening there, Pierre, when you're doing multi, what is multi-view geometry? Because I, I think of structure from motion. I think of photogrammetry. I hear those terms. People right. might not kind of understand that one specific term within, yeah. within that 3D reconstruction pipeline. Yeah. Yeah, so, so multiple view geometry is a, a bunch of methods that help you to solve structure from motion. Uh, so structure from motion, uh, there is two words inside structure, so meaning you want to find a structure of the world, uh, meaning, for example, point cloud, uh, from motion of the user or motion of the camera. So meaning you need multiple images to be able to uh, find corresponding point between those images and find a way to triangulate those points uh, to create the structure of the world. Uh, so to do that, you need first to establish correspondences between those images. Uh, so saying, for example, I have the same point uh, in my background with multiple image, uh, and now I can try to um, find a relative pose between those images um, and triangulate uh, those observations. So the entire energy function that you want to minimize to solve this problem somehow is a reprojection error, uh, meaning I create the three D points that I know I can reproject in multiple images, and I want to minimize the reprojection error in this image between the observation of those points I have in this image. Uh, so key points is this image could be uh, used by SIFT. After you need to match those key points, so you need to do a nearest neighbor matching, um, and after you have a list of key points together. Uh, those key points does not have sense yet in a uh, geometric space. They have just a sense uh, of matching in photometric space, so meaning those patches look alike. And now you need to bring some um, geometry in uh, to do multiple view geometry to find corresponding points that make sense from a geometry level. And to do that, you can use a fundamental matrix or essential matrix uh, or homography matrix. Uh, basically, you want to find if uh, two points can lie on the same plane uh, given the camera geometry that you are trying to estimate. And to do so, uh, you need to select some points um, randomly, try to estimate this fundamental matrix, try to see if this uh, model is fitting your uh, observations. Um, so it's called basically RANSAC. And once you filter those observations, now you can try to triangulate uh, those observations. Okay. Um, yeah, since the start of the pipeline, uh, you do that for a bunch of pair of image. And after you want to position uh, all those images in 3D, and it's uh, an algorithm, so meaning there is various way to achieve it, uh, meaning you can do it in an incremental way or sequential way. So you start from two images and you aggregate one image at a time. 
Or you can say, I want to do it hierarchically. So meaning I'm going to take 10 images, make a first reconstruction. I'm going to make another group of 10 images and after merge in, so I merge groups uh, as I go along. Or you can say, I want to solve this problem globally. So meaning you're going to take all your estimate together, a kind of graph, and you want to find directly all the camera poses at the same time. Uh, and this last problem is called motion averaging uh, for structure from motion. Uh, and maybe I will stop here because I say too much uh, and let Jared uh, comment on it too. Oh, I was going to say, no, I mean, yeah, you, 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 uh, you dove in there and you uncovered lots of topics. I'm just going to echo back what I heard you say at the beginning, just saying, you know, multi-view geometry, you know, is at the highest level, you know, recovering the 3D geometry, the 3D points, the 3D shape, the 3D information of a scene using multiple views, so multiple images. So images that were captured at different positions, different angles within that scene. So you have multiple observations of this geometry, of these points from different angles. And then there's a whole host of, you know, different algorithms that, that can be used and employed to, to uh, that, that, you know, that fall under this bucket of, of multiple view geometry that then can be used to, you know, recover that, that 3D structure, that 3D camera motion. Okay, so then within your soft, so within OpenMVG, you said there's 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 different methods in which uh, you can like say a sequential versus global uh, matches features trying to triangulate surfaces. Those are that's that's one of the, the the features, or you could say one of the benefits of OpenMVGs. You can you can tweak those, you can choose different options and figure out which one works perhaps best. Or am yep. I off track there? Yeah, looks like as Jared said, like open images uh, want to propose a pipeline. So meaning there is a multiple chain element together and uh, each bricks uh, in open MVG, we see uh, we contribute libraries as a module. So meaning, for example, we have one small library to do image matching. So people can come there, see two or three implementations and eventually add the ones they want. Mm -hmm. We have a, a a multiple view geometry module uh, where we show how to compute fundamental metrics, essential metrics, homography metrics, uh, absolute pose estimation, um, also known as camera resection. Uh, and after, here yeah, it's like multiple view geometry solvers that you can use to estimate. And after, you have to be robust to noise. So, meaning, like in, when you have image correspondences, you can have noise. Uh, so, you need to deal with this noise. And uh, basically, there is a method called RANSAC um, that can be used. Oh, there is also other methods that we are using in OpenMVG uh, called Acontrario Ronsag that I can speak later if you want as uh, a try to be noise adaptative. Uh, and after once you have those kind of multiple view geometry solvers, uh, you want to go higher and uh, do really the structure from motion. Uh, so aggregating all together. Uh, so you need to triangulate bumps. So you need triang triangulation function. Uh, you can do it in multiple ways from two images, three images, and images. And after, at one point, you're going to need to uh, minimize some uh, nonlinear functions, like the reconjection error uh, of your system, and you're going to need to do bundle adjustment. Uh, and um, bundle adjustment is uh, quite heavy in terms of computations. Uh, so there is some nice trick to do uh, with bundle adjustments. And uh, luckily, we can leverage another great open source project uh, called Ceres Solver to do that, uh, that we are using in OpenMG. Um, so you see uh, at the end, like, uh, yeah, feedback loop is coming. Uh, you can't do it all by yourself. So if uh, one great project is here, uh, you are using it and you are able to do more. Okay. All right. There's a lot of information there. It makes sense to me. I spent a lot of time talking to people like Jared and you to, uh, to understand that. But, uh, you know, I also just suggest people who want to learn then go 
go type in OpenMVG. There's some great resources on the, the GitHub page. There's also great resources outside the GitHub page. People, That's the great thing about your community. They've talked about it. It looks like there's some presentations you can even download that people have created, kind of showing those different modules and what they're doing more visually than that description. Um, so very interesting. So you have this very flexible set of modules that you can plug in, plug in where you need it. Not for, You don't need the whole stack. Maybe you just need a, a portion of it, uh, which I find um, quite interesting, very helpful if you're starting something off the ground from scratch and you just need parts plugged in. Um, so that kind of comes down to then you're young, um, you're getting your PhD, and that's when you started building this um, OpenMVG. Um, that's a lot of work to take on to, to create something like this because as opposed to, as you just said, you have all these different modules. You're not, you're not taking someone else's open source project and making it your own. You're building this all from scratch, I assume. Um, so was that, was, is that your biggest upfront challenge to starting this project? Was this the sheer amount that needed to be generated and choices you had to make? Um, technically, is that, is that your biggest challenge? Yeah, it's a, a big challenge because somehow it's like you you know that you start from A, you say, okay, I'm going to have nothing or maybe something I can use and you want to go to B. So it's like mm -hmm. your North Star. And after there is multiple possibilities to go there. Uh, and somehow I set a big constraint at the start. I say I want a permissive project. So meaning everyone could use the stuff I'm doing. It should be free of patent and free of um, a contaminating license. Uh, so meaning that if a great solution is here, like for example, SIFT that was patented at this time, uh, you need to find a replacement to propose to your community. And if you want, want a replacement, you want a solution that is working maybe as good or just a little bit less good uh, because you don't want something crappy for your community. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes it's uh, a lot of work. And it's uh, also um, trial and error. So sometimes you go along one path and you say, oh, maybe I can do this better. So you go back and uh, change something. And it happened two or three times when I was doing open MEG, when I say, hey, now it's a good time to stop and to do some refactoring. Uh, and one of the things I'm the most proud about the project is uh, the structure from motion uh, database somehow that we are using. Uh, it's um, one concept we are using where you can store the observations, the camera posings, the intrinsic of the images. Uh, so somehow it's all you need every time you want to solve some structure for motion steps. Uh, and having this at a single place, um, be able to load this uh, on, and save it on disk in JSON, in binary format, or XML uh, to be very inter inter interoperable. Helping others to just do what they want with the language they want. Um, and it, it was really a, a key element because um, when we designed a project uh, and having this was just a, a key factor in productivity. Every time we were able to reuse the same module uh, based on the same high level hierarchy and just uh, boost our speed when we were developing. Nice. Yeah, so I'm sure there's a lot of upfront. Up front, uh, I just think of what I see Jared do right now. You know, he's building, if we build something new from scratch, there's a lot of these Kind of upfront architecture choices that you have to make or how, how whatever I, whatever you work on at the start or earlier on may affect everything else down the line so how, you try to make sure you stay building something elegant that will be flexible as you move along um, in your pipeline building I see that a lot I, that's probably that's probably a word of wisdom Jared would give people 
you know, it's almost don't ru don't rush into just coding. Think think spend less time coding, more time thinking about how you wanted to, how you wanted to build this project. Yeah, I mean, and and it, there, it it ties to also sort of into the you know sort of research and and software development you know life cycle. You know where it's like you know when you start you're starting out, you know maybe you have an idea of the method that you're implementing, and so you I say you're a little more research focused, and so you're just you're trying some things, seeing which works. You know, and then once you have that idea of like, okay, yeah, this is the way that I want, I actually want it to work, going back, doing that phase of refactoring and saying, okay, now that I've got this method that I know I want to use, how can I best fit it in into the overarching, you know, picture of, of that, that module or that, that pipeline that gets me from A to B. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so hearing you, you talk, Pierre, just about, you know, trying, you know, going down a path and really, okay, now's it's, you know, now's it's stop, a place to stop, go back, refactor. Yeah, I've, I've been there many times. Yeah. And also it's a learning path. So it's like some ways like I was alone some in some part of the journey. Sometimes other contributor were with me and I was really allowed to just collaborate and try to find something smarter with others. Uh, because often you have bias. So you, like you go in oh, your yeah. own direction. Um, and like, yeah, sometimes you just say, okay, I'm going to pause a little bit, try to understand, am I doing the right thing? Uh, and often one way to circle that could be to uh, be more like test-driven development. So like you, you write first about how you think things going to work uh, so like the kind of API or language you would like to use at the end. And after you trace back to say, okay, now let me try to implement this. Uh, and often like when we do research, you also need engineering skills. So meaning that being good at mathematics is not the only thing you need. So it's like, you need to find a way to do efficient thing on your machine. Uh, and sometimes you need help from others to find the best engineering way to solve a given problem. Um, so that's why here also open source is very interesting because someone can look to your code and uh, just tweak it a little bit and just make it more efficient because he saw it from a different perspective and uh, provide something back to the community. I, I would say I've I've noticed that on GitHub on a few few projects that I've been using where uh, someone will they'll merge some new changes in from a community member who they didn't necessarily make any improvements to an output or to functionality, but you notice that they made the code much shorter and elegant. So perhaps someone said, you know, you guys took the most circuitous route to get to what you're trying to do here. Here's a better way to implement this. And so I've seen some of those fixes or code changes, which is just reduce the complexity. And it's very interesting to see that someone might just have a better programming skills, but they don't know how perhaps yeah. whatever problem solve technology works as well. They just know, oh, Okay, they didn't know how to code that to perhaps their best ability. And often people can add everywhere. Like it would be code, it could be documentation. Like yeah. if you speak about community, like having a nice documentation is really uh, a must have. Uh, so it's like if people can just end the visibility of a project, just drive awareness, and everything is helpful somehow. So yeah. it's like you don't need to really to be a coder to really do uh, open source. Right. So, okay, so then, okay, so now you've built something that you're, that you have out there that you're proud to talk about. Uh, I'm assuming it's not like the Field of Dreams movie where you build it and they will come. People just show up and start using it. Um, a non-technical question then is um, coming back to community. What, how, you know, what did you do to build a community, to build awareness, to get people on there using it? Did people just find it because of the lack of perhaps 3D reconstruction tools on GitHub? Or I think it was GitHub where you were probably originally hosting it or wherever you hosted it. Or was it you going to conferences, shouting off the rooftops, just getting, you know, yep. the community noticing it? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's something you realize like when you, like you are head first in your project and after you realize, okay, where do I want to go? How am I going to build a community? And it's not going to happen if you stay at your desk. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's the same thing that is happening at work. It's like somehow you need to build your branding uh, and it's not happening if you're not making connection. Um, so connection can be built two ways. People are coming to you or you go to them. Um, so one way is to go to conferences, uh, speak about your work. Uh, so it's what I did with uh, some paper I did. And every time I was saying, hey, my paper is here, I presented my poster. And every time I was saying, hey, by the way, this thing is implemented in OpenMG, feel free to use it. Uh, so I was trying to drive awareness by myself, going to communities, be approached by the communities that this work is relevant. And the other way is to be welcomed by others. So I was really lucky in 2015 uh, to be invited to a SFN uh, workshop in CVPR, uh, where I was able to speak along some others, uh, structure for motion software from this time, uh, like a CLS solver from Google, uh, CodeMap uh, from uh, ETH Zurich, um, Kitware also got a one package at this time. Uh, so it was very nice for me to just be in front of everyone interested in structure for motion at the same time, be able to speak along my peers and also build connection with my peer at the same time, because without this, I would not have been to just say, hey, I'm with the guys that develop all those technologies, sitting at the same place uh, and just speaking about what we do. Um, so it's like, yeah, connections are two ways. Like you, somehow you can't make it happen all by yourself. Um, hopefully, or luckily, you will have others be interested in your work uh, and share how great your work is um, and provide feedback for you to improve. Okay. So, Jerry, can you give some perspective then on perhaps where you're finding open source libraries? Are, are you finding them more at C going to CVPR and talking to your peers? Or you are you have a habit or follow some publications of going out and finding perhaps new alternatives? Or you just happen to find them when you're researching a problem you're trying to solve? You're like, well, we'll see what's new out there or something I just didn't know about. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you certainly get you get both. You know, there 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 is the, there are the times. You know, if I'm, you know, working on a particular problem, um, and um, you know, I, I want to see, hey, is you know, is there a reference implementation out there for this? Is there an existing implementation for this very specific problem? And yeah, you search for, it and eventually, yeah, you might find, uh, you might find some code on GitHub, or yeah, you might find code on uh, a research page or something like that, and then you can see um, that you know that code exists. Um, but, you know, a lot of times though, it, it does, you know, I, I find things, you know, um, online, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, conferences, you know, where the authors, like you said, you know, Pierre, it's like, you've got to get out there and, um, you know, and talk about your stuff, you know, build some of that community. And so it's, it's people, you know, advocating and, and saying, Hey, I've, you know, I've got some new, you know, method, here's the source code, go check it out. Um, you know, and making that easily accessible and easy to use, uh, is, is really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, well, one thing I forget to mention was about uh, try to put yourself in the shoe of your user. Uh, so one thing I was doing, uh, I like architecture and I was taking pictures of uh, buildings in France, uh, like uh, mostly churches because there is a nice texture on it. So it's uh, working great with SFN. Um, so I, I made data sets along the weeks uh, and um, from time to time I was just making a post on LinkedIn about, hey, here is a new version of OpenMG. Here is all the nice reconstruction I made with this toolkit. Uh, so it was a way for me to demonstrate it. It's working. Yeah, see, there is a result here. It was obtained running this command line and given this amount of uh, images. Um, so sometimes, yeah, you, you need to put yourself uh, in the user perspective and just say they want to understand: Is it really working? What can what can I achieve with this? 
Uh, so you need to work uh, on demonstrating this uh, and it's taking some time. Um, and uh, one nice way is just like try to put yourself in a kind of customer of your project and try to understand what you can do with it. Pushing the limits, like adding more images, see what happens uh, and make something bigger. That's, that's wise advice for any entrepreneur or anyone creating a product, right? Um, be your own customer and then also spend time with your customers. See what, see why they might not be using it. Maybe the, maybe you realize your, your documentation is lacking for people to know how to get started or, um, cause, cause I guess I always see it's hard too. When you create something, everyone's like, I don't understand why people can't figure it out. It feels very simple to use. Well, if you wrote the whole thing or you, you, know, you created it, it's going to be, it'll understand, you'll understand it more than anyone else. Cause you made every design choice and every product choice there versus, um, you know, here's my code, go use it. Here's some documentation. I hope, I hope it's enough. Uh, so that that's, I like, I like what you're going around there. Just, you gotta get out there. You gotta tell people about it and use it yourself. Um, so very interesting. And you guys, you guys, you guys live, have, a, you have a very, this computer vision, I'd say 10 years ago, the, the field of 3D reconstruction of computer vision was a lot smaller. It felt like, uh, just in the decade I've been in it, it I've seen it explode as far as the CVPR attendance and papers and just people talking about it in general, this podcast. Um, so you do though have still a quite small targeted audience that you're trying to attract. So you do have that, that really good, um, ability. So if other people want to create something in this, in the computer vision community, do realize that you don't have to go shout on every rooftop because there's only so many people in the industry you need to talk to. And they primarily are listening at CVPR, ECCV, all the different conferences. Um, I'm sure you, you can easily get in the face of people and, and let them know your project exists. So, all right. So moving us along. Um, so now I want to ask about, uh, so you also had to make, uh, so I, for people, I'll, I had, had this in the opening monologue about going to your GitHub page and reading your, your, your 10 year retrospect of, of building open MVG. Uh, and you had a nice section about making sure that you had an open and permissive code base and, you know, deciding what license to use. Uh, I think that's something that I don't, I didn't even think about, well, Hey, I'm creating some open source software, there's more than one license you can choose. There's different ways to go about that. Can you talk about that, that experience, um, that, that you went through and how you decided how you want to make this code open for people to use? Um, was there specific things you're looking for or you suggest people look for when making that choice? It, yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah. So basically there is a, so you, you want to share your work to others, but at the same time, you want to protect it. So meaning you don't want people to steal it or you want to constrain mm -hmm. how they could use it. Um, so there is by, there is two kinds of license. So it's like the permissive one and the non-permissive. Uh, so non-permissive are like a GPN one, uh, where somehow, uh, you want people to use the same kind of license if they are creating a new project using it or contributing to the same model. Uh, so it's very successful for applications like uh, Linux or firmware. Uh, so meaning that everyone is going to contribute uh, and they have to follow the rules of the project. Uh, and after for permissive license, uh, you can have different kind of permissions. So you can say, okay, do whatever you want. So you don't use any license. And after you can have others like MIT or BSD, where you say, 
at least you should cite my project if you use it and keep this license file to make people aware that you were using this project and eventually this version of this project. And after you can uh, go even further to say, if you contribute to the project, uh, I sorry, if you fix a bug in the project, I want you to share back this bug or I want you to just do whatever you want. It, it's not a big deal. Uh, and it's where I was going with uh, OpenMVG. I wanted to share it as much as I can, uh, but somehow it's like if someone is finding a bug, I would likely, most likely to want this bug fixed so it can benefit uh, the entire community. But at the same mm -hmm. time, I want OpenMVG here. And if someone wants to get the commercial product from it, I'm totally okay. They just need to say I'm using OpenMVG. Uh, so that's why I choose the uh, MPN license too, uh, created by uh, Mozilla, uh, because there is this notion about um, I create this project. Uh, if you fix, a, if you find a bug, please uh, fix it. Uh, but at the same time, if you want to create another project, you can use whatever license you want. And another interesting point of uh, NPN2 license is like it's per file. Uh, so meaning like OpenMVG, for example, is having a lot of header files. And if someone is just making a copy paste of a file to a different project, uh, you can lose the license of the main project. And um, it's happening often after you don't know where this file is coming from. And you say, and most likely it looked like another project I saw somewhere. Uh, and that's why I like about MPL2 license. It's going to be in every file. Uh, you're going to have this license with eventually a copyright uh, to uh, have more right on it. Uh, so it's allowed to protect uh, your entire project uh, up to the file level uh, with a nice um, kind of permission about what you, you control. So still be enabling anyone to do uh, products uh, and try to sell it if they want, or just uh, be in a pure research mode and uh, just sharing knowledge to the community. Okay. Um, okay, so that makes sense. So, you know, those are the sort of things you can you need to think about when you're creating this. Is that something you need to think about right off the bat or can you get kind of building and pushing some code before you need to make that decision? Uh, yeah. when you're when you're yes somehow you you need to think right like, so you have your enough start e, uh, B, you start at a uh, and somehow if you choose uh, the wrong library here you're going to be stuck because you can't reach your enough star about mm -hmm. being permissive uh, and somehow it would happen if i choose this library to do bundle adjustment or the other one uh, so luckily i was um happy to found that crs server was compatible with the license that uh, was allowing permissive use usage um, okay. um, but you, you can take other projects, um, like for example, I was trying to use uh, linear programming inside OpenMG, and there is a lot of framework out there, and most of them have contami contaminating license, or they have a license that you need to pay to use. Uh, so meaning I say, okay, I don't want this, so meaning I need to spend some time to find other existing projects, try to compare them, try to see performance in terms of speed or in terms of accuracy. And after I made the trade-off, I say, okay, I'm going to pick this project uh, because it allows me the best trade-off between speed and accuracy and still enable my project to go further. Uh, so it, it gives a delta in your velocity because somebody, like you say, and now I need to find more time to evaluate everything, to find a mm -hmm. solution, learn how to use it right, uh, and now I can be empowered for the future of my project. Talking about the time commitment it took to do the research, to build the code, uh, maintain your project. This is a huge commitment. This is basically like a second job or a side job. Um, can you talk about how you know how you would how you go about being funded for this, or do you just do this as volunteer work? You know, I'm thinking of building my own project. How should I be thinking about this? Should I be thinking as 
this is just something I want to build for the community for my own resume, or I just want to use it, or should I be looking for some funding? Um, you know, how did you approach that? And, and any any sort of advice you give to other people looking to build a, a project yeah. like this? Yeah, yes, it's a great question. So yeah, as you said, it's a big uh, time commitment. Uh, so first, I I did this on my own spare time. Uh, so you start at uh, evening time, you do some stuff, and you say, oh, it's very late now. I'm going to go to bed and say, oh, I'm going to do this again. Uh, and after uh, with my PhD, I found the opportunity to do that with some funding. So somehow I was paid to use my brain to design open source and to work at it, uh, on it. Uh, but when my PhD stopped, I said, okay, now I'm without funding. I, I would still like to pursue and continue this project. Um, so I continue on my spare time. Uh, I did some part of OpenNFG with some fundings. Uh, so working as a consulting uh, for one or two companies and be able to improve the project. Uh, and uh, later on, um, after it's like um, where you want to go. So like somehow OpenMG for me is uh, it's, it's my resume. I, I don't need to share a, a resume to someone. Somehow it's like Open and Open is on my on my terms that everyone can know. So it's like open source can be showing your skills to the community. So if you want to invest and show those skills uh, publicly, uh, you can do it. Or else you can say I was working to this company doing something, but I can't really speak about it. Uh, so it's just the spirit about how you want to show your work and your capabilities. And uh, yes, it's a big time commitment. So uh, Open Image is my first first baby, uh, as I call it. Uh, now I have two kids, uh, two dogs, and uh, most likely I don't even I don't have as much time to just do open source as before. And regarding uh, legality with your employer, uh, so it's something that you can speak about uh, when you are going to be hired. Uh, so saying, hey, I like open source. It's part of my life. Uh, and if you want my skills, it's most likely because I made open source. So it's a part of me that you want to keep. Uh, if you just push it away, I will be most likely a less good uh, engineer or researcher in your company. Uh, so don't be shy and just say, if I'm here, it's because of all the things I did before, all the things I'm capable to do. Uh, and if you want to keep open source as part of your life, you can find a way to negotiate it with your uh, employers. Mm -hmm. It could be about you speak uh, loud about which kind of features you want to do. Uh, because sometimes it could be similar things, you know, you are working in an expert field. Um, so it's like you, you are, your hobby and your work are mixing together. Uh, so you have to be very upfront about what you would like to do for your open source project and see if there is a conflict with the company. And mm -hmm. sometimes it could be a conflict and say, oh, we're going to solve this conflict because we are helping each other at the end. We help the business of the company, we help your open source project, and we contribute something to the community. So it happened for OpenMG with some of my work experience where it was like, oh, no, let's stop here. And we decided, oh, let's go further and empower everyone. That's great. Um, so, yeah, I like that you say in being open, transparent with your employer uh, about this. Uh, I, I can see that <clears throat> perhaps you build a product not, project not quite as big or as involved as OpenMVG, but I'm in, I'm, I can see being in university or just out of, just out of my my degree and I want to I have time before I have kids before I have a family to build something that is a great resume builder and something that I don't think about is the fact that there's a lot of things that, that we do and in, in this industry you can't you can't talk about right I, I work at a company that has an NDA I you want to interview me but I can't talk tell you what I'm working on to any degree of specifics well open source is open it's right there you can see what I did you can you know it's a great resume builder that's a great that's a great point there um, yeah. Every time it could be about user 
value proposition. So it could be a small open source project with very narrow skin. Uh, like open energy took me 10 years, uh, like with trial and errors. So somehow I'm happy about where I, I am now. Uh, but you can start small and still show a lot of skills or just learn new mm -hmm. skills. It's all about learning. So yeah. you fail, you try something new and you learn new skills that you can apply for your personal life and your employers. Um, yeah. So it's uh, all uh, beneficial. And there's a lot involved there. So you're showcasing that not only do you know how to build code, deploy code, you know how to uh, write documentation, you've built a community around it. There's a, you know, you thought about the licensing. There's a lot we've discussed here and that, that shows that you know more than just, I go and sit and, and write code all day long. It's like, well, there's the whole management uh, layer here and you're thinking big picture, how do I want this all to unfold? So uh, Jared is thinking a few, Jared, you're looking to hire someone, you see they have a, a very interesting project on GitHub. That I'm assuming would that hold sway for you as well as you're, as you're evaluating, oh, is this someone that we would want to hire on our team? Yeah, and it goes back to one of the points you were making, Pierre, is like, you know, putting yourselves, you know, putting yourself in the user's shoes, you know, because it, it can be easy as a developer to just be, you know, so focused on, you know, your own way of thinking and your own code and that's it and never thinking beyond yourself, you know, but by going through the process of, you know, creating an open source package and then showing that to the world, you know, it, it sort of does force uh, the issue that of like, hey, how, how do I show this code to the world? Can I write you know, good documentation, good, you know, examples, good demos, good tests, um, you know, and so, as you said, like as a resume, it, it is a great way to showcase your work and say, hey, no, I, I am a, you know, like I'm a full stack developer, a well-rounded developer, you know, I'm not just going to write algorithms, but I could also write, you know, documentation and help other developers use my software because it's like software development, it's, it's very rarely just, you know, one person in isolation. It's, you know, your codes can be a part of a, you know, a, a, you're, you're a part of a team, you know, it's your codes, you know, developed and used in conjunction with other code and how well can you fit that code together and communicate as a team. And so going through the process of documentation and open sourcing uh, really does, you know, demonstrate uh, and flex a lot of those skills. All right. So I just want to, I want to make sure I, I make sure for time we conclude this. I just, if someone wants to get going, I'm going to include links to OpenMVG so people can find it and they can read the documentation and everything. They re they'll have your, I'll have a direct link as well to your tenure retrospect. I'm looking back to everything you've done. But just from you, Pierre, um, where would you say, where would you be advised someone who wants to get started using it? Where would they start? Just go to the GitHub and pull in the repository and start having fun with it? Or you start reading the documentation through? Um, how would someone get going with that? Yeah, I think my advice is like try to have fun. So it's like try to understand what you want to learn. Uh, do you want to learn about how to run a pipeline? Do you want to understand which algorithm are running? Do you want to just try to add the code, modify something quickly? Uh, do you want to contribute back? So try to identify existing issue, try to find if you can fix something. Uh, so I think open source is about um, having fun. Uh, so just try to identify what you want to do, what you want to learn, and just try to to understand where you can help. And um, there is no reason, like, don't be shy. Just go ourselves, ask questions, uh, say you want to help. And people will gladly receive um, your feedback uh, and try to do better or, or just try to take you along the journey and just um, share something as a, as a community. Mm -hmm. That's good advice to, to, to ask questions on the boards or the discussions. I've... I am not a software programmer. I am not an engineer, and I will I will sometimes try some project that's out there. It's like, okay, I think I can get this to work, 
run to a roadblock that is very simple. Any of you guys probably would just not even realize that's a problem. And I'll ask questions, and people so so gracious to to yep. answer my questions, even if they're as simple as like you just didn't know you use the command prompt line right. And if um. and it's something you notice <laughs> on GitHub, for example, there is issues, and now there is discussion. Uh, so somehow yeah. GitHub organization notice that there is a a place where you just need to discuss about mm-hmm. open questions, see if the question was answered, uh, a kind of FAQ somehow. Uh, and there is a part where people just say, I want to speak about code. I want to speak about issue in the code. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's showing that there is two communities there. So one of them is about coding and the other one is about using the project or try to understand the knowledge of it. Yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, any, anything you want to add to this, to this, Jared? Would you have any, I don't know, I don't know if you've actually built or maintained any projects, but you know, for any other, anyone else before we close any aspiring people, from your computer vision background, is this something that you would tell them to go look look at if they're trying to build something at work or personal project? Yeah, I, I've the, the, the amount of open source code that I've actually contributed to is very small. You know, during my PhD work, all of the projects that I had done as part of my PhD, I made sure to release that um, on GitHub, but that wasn't, you know, and there, there, are, there was a few, you know, bug reports and, you know, issues that I had fixed afterward, but not, not very actively maintained. Um, but it kind of, but it, it comes back to this, just you know, building upon the work of others. You know, the open source community and the open source code. You know, it is really important to be able to um, not have to re-implement a structure from motion, not have to implement a 3D reconstruction pipeline from scratch every time. You know, or or being able to you know reuse modules and, and modify them and contribute those modifications back to the community um, ends up being really important. And so a lot of um, you know, a lot of the software, right, yeah, are built upon open source libraries. Like you mentioned, OpenCV. You know, OpenCV in itself has a lot of computer vision components in it. Um, and it's got some, you know, 3D reconstruction, uh, you know, pieces, but it's not a full 3D reconstruction package. You know, and so that's where it's, yeah, using, using you know, open source code inside of other open source projects to then build other tools uh, just ends up uh, enabling enabling a lot of, you know, new, new research and uh, new engineering. Yeah, and I, right. and I think you made a nice point about like there is building from scratch and it could be, yeah, I need to start from zero for a good reason. And I understood this reason because I look around or I tried with our project or now I know, oh, I can use this brick. It's really, really going to empower me to go to the next level. Uh, and it's very important to have this pause about let me evaluate this and understand the scope and context. And after I can go next, uh, don't go too fast. Um, you just take your time with it. You're going to be happy about it later. Right. Well, that's a good point to end on. Um, so, Pierre, where can we find? Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Are you on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, yeah, any other can, platforms? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, I'm always open to questions on GitHub. So, just okay. And then, of course, come. we can always follow follow your work through GitHub and uh, on your discussion board and questions as well. I'm assuming you're still very active in there. And um, Jared, of course, we can find you and I on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, but so thank you very much for your time, Pierre. And I hope people go out there and give this this project a try, either to to use the code, you know, fix something they might see a problem in, or or just jump in the discussions and talk about uh, computer vision here. So thank you for coming, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you very much for inviting me and being able to speak openly about open source. Absolutely. Thanks, right. Pierre. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Pierre. Well, there you have it. I hope you learned something about creating an open source project and maintaining it for long term. 
and I'll ensure I link all of the documentation for OpenMVG in the show notes. And if you like this podcast or on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. It means so much to us and letting us know we're providing content that's relevant to you. I'll see you in the next episode.